Welcome to another episode of Jim Merritt's Indiana. I'm Jim Merritt. Today we're going to be talking about health in Indianapolis and Indiana, minority health. We're here with Mr. Carl Ellison with the Indiana Minority Health Coalition. Welcome to Jim Merritt's Indiana podcast, Carl. Well, thank you very much. Glad to be here, Senator Merritt. It's hard for me not to well, say that no. given your past life. Mr. Ellison, <laughs> Carl, we really have an interest. I think I told you we had a podcast on rural health. And it's great to be able to talk about minority health in Indianapolis and Indiana. And when I think about um, health and, and, and those that um, might not be um, in the spotlight, uh, I, I think of um, obesity. I think about infant mortality. I think about those that have been caught up in COVID and, and shut in for a year. Talk to me about what the mission of the coalition is and, and um, maybe some goals and I understand you, you work with Indiana universities some. Talk to me about and tell our viewers, viewers of the podcast exactly what, what you do and, and what is actually going on in the coalition. Well, a lot's going on, and thank you, by the way, Jim, for being here today. We always appreciate the opportunity to tell our story. Uh, so the Indiana Minority Health Coalition is a uh, nonprofit statewide, been around for 27 years, and we have a very simple mission to eliminate health disparities. So we hope to live in a world and a state where one day minority citizens will enjoy the same health outcomes from the standpoint of chronic disease like obesity, diabetes, et cetera, and or in the, in the length of life as whites. Because if you compare those metrics now, be they health conditions, uh, length of life, whatever, uh, African-Americans and Latino populations will live less long, be less healthy than their white counterparts, even though we live in the same community, we all have the same medical delivery system. Mm -hmm. We, in effect, have the same opportunities and detriments, but, but, but from a health point of view, our outcomes are historically worse. Mm -hmm. So when COVID comes along, for example, it was no surprise to me that populations of color experienced greater hospitalizations, Boom. greater deaths, yeah, mm -hmm. but because the underlying disparities were simply exacerbated by the, the current public health emergency. So we've been trying over the years to try to get us toward a, a, a city a state and a nation that really enjoys health equity. Mm -hmm. Because if we can get there, then we will have a more productive population. We will have less health care costs. We will, in fact, have better quality of life for everybody. Mm -hmm. and, and, but there's no recipe for exactly how do you do that. Because remember, in our society, you have the perfect right to have unhealthy behaviors. You have the perfect right to make unhealthy choices. You sometimes are influenced by marketing. You know, if you go in the minority community, uh, what are predominant on the billboards? Cigarettes, beer, you know, it's all those things. Dairy Queen. Right. <laughs> it's a lot of things that, that may be good, but yeah. not necessarily good for your health. And, and so so it's, uh, so minority communities are just, um, I won't say more vulnerable, they're very resistant, but they have more factors, more barriers to overcome to enjoy health equity the same as whites. And so we try to be uh, an entity that helps make that happen. Uh, we do a lot of it by trying to elevate voice. So um, Jim, you must have been in the legislature. IMHC has somebody there every day, oh, you know, of course. And, yes. and we interact with all the the policymakers over time to try to be a resource. Uh, I sometimes say say that there may be things in the bill unintended, but it may create a bad consequence mm -hmm. for minority populations. So we try to be the the keepers of the good, mm -hmm. the just and right advice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and by and large, most policymakers are really quite helped. I mean, they they're glad we do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, because nobody, of course, wants bad consequences for Indiana or for its citizens. And so we try to be a, 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 an entity that elevates voice, but also is a voice to help policymakers and others focus on 
not just minority health disparities, but focus on how policy, how resource allocation might change mm -hmm. the, uh, the might might change the the, the, the pendulum. Mm -hmm. uh, has the Healthy Indiana program been helpful? Oh, the Healthy Indiana program has been absolutely delightful because uh, you know it reduced the number of uh, Hoosiers who who did not have health insurance, and also has provided a better floor, if you will, where if I if we do a screening and we determine you may have hypertension. Uh, but you may not have a doctor, it may not have coverage, it provides another vehicle mm -hmm. to, to help uh, uh, all populations access care. Uh, and, 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 you know, to think that if, I, if you go back when IMHC started, the uninsured rate for black population in the state were probably approaching 30% or better. Mm -hmm. You know, once uh, HIP comes along and the Affordable Care Act, now we're down under 10%. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a tremendous difference in just being able to help us help people access health care. Let's talk a little bit about diabetes and obesity. Uh, is, I know that's a focus. Um, it, it, how deep do you go? Um, are, are there ways that we can build incentives into the program where, where if you have a healthy lifestyle, you, you, you more than likely won't have uh, those maladies? Or how, uh, how, do you, how do you address that with the coalition? Well, we, we try to address it in health education. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Bill Crawford, who was yes. part of our very founded, uh, Bill used to always say that much of minority health and much of health disparities are quite preventable. Mm -hmm. And so we've put a lot of effort and have done over the years into health education. Uh, we even now as an organization still are a, uh, a certified CDC provider, a recognized provider for the National Diabetes Prevention Program. Mm -hmm. It's a year-long intervention that is designed to teach someone uh, what they need to know and to change their behaviors and their diet in such a way that it precludes the onset of diabetes. So in our state, if you can just keep someone from not getting diabetes during a given year, the healthcare savings are over $7,000. And so it's, it's, a, it's substantial. And, and, and to, to in many ways, you know, diabetes and obesity kind of correlated, mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and, and, and so we also then work with others in the communities around healthy food access, uh, trying to make sure you can actually get healthy food if you, if you get to a grocery store, mm -hmm. but th th there are a number of consumer barriers to, to people living the, the life we want them to with right. the program, so, so we can do health education, but until we address the larger environmental issues, all the externalities which affect how people live and where they can live and what opportunities they have, we probably will not yet achieve the level of health equity we hope for, let alone the reduction in obesity and diabetes. Well, I, I've always worked on issues dealing with mental health and addiction, and I always think uh, good mental health is good health care. Mm -hmm. And uh, I noticed on your website that you do work on mental health issues, addiction, and, and um, that probably came to the fore in the past year with COVID, uh, with people being shut in. Mental illness is, is just an enormous issue for those people. Uh, how have you spent the last year? How has your coalition spent the last year in combating that? Well, we spent a lot of time with the Department of Health first around uh, just trying to help with messaging. Mm -hmm. So we've been meeting since, I think, November, once a week or every other week, just to help hire and shape the It's Our Shot campaign, mm -hmm. uh, to have the campaign resonate with populations of color. So if you go on our shot website, you'll see that that you can get the messaging in different languages. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll see that there are different um, messengers 
uh, in, in the clips on the website that you, that you can use. We've done a lot of webinars, mm -hmm. particularly ones involved in, in, in involving our local rock star, Dr. Jenny Kane. I mean, yeah. Jenny is a national treasure. She's a, one of the foremost experts in this area. So to be on a, I've probably been on five or six uh, web panel, webinar panelists. Yeah, I've seen them. Anytime you're on with Jenny, you just kind of sit back and let her do the talking. She gives all the clinical stuff. And what we've tended to focus on is how do we get the message in to those folks who may be vaccine resistant, who mm -hmm. may need more information, mm -hmm. who may need a nudge. And so, so we try to take these webinars and make sure the content mm -hmm. then is distributed to uh, groups who are who, who may not be as likely mm -hmm. to get the vaccine, and so we've done them uh, not just in English. We've done them with Latino groups. Mm -hmm. We've done them with the uh, Baki uh, Community Association for mm -hmm. Burmese Populations, mm -hmm. uh, and we've then also worked with the Delta Sigma Theaters. We work with groups statewide, and which frankly are trying to catalog them because Jim, you know, the the response at the local level to the vaccine to try to do something about it or to make sure people get it has been tremendous mm -hmm. among health providers, among minority groups. I mean, it, it's. Uh, and I am just amazed at the level of, 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 of invention or the level of effort that's mm -hmm. going on around the state to try to combat this. So, so we try to be a resource. We try to help sharpen the focus. We try to make sure the messaging gets where it needs to get to. Uh, and and so, so we look at ourselves as, if you think about it, we're kind of a grassroots community organization. Mm -hmm. And we try to connect what we do to what government does, to what the healthcare sector does, the managed care entities, because we are sort of that that the value added element, if added to public health, added to, to, to healthcare delivery organizations, can then make sure we better reach those who are hardest to reach. Well, this all makes so much sense. And when we were talking with the Rural Health Association, we talked a lot about e-health, uh, telehealth, mm -hmm. and and uh, you can have all the healthcare messages, but people have to have broadband, people have to have access mm -hmm. to the internet. To get that, so this all kind of all weaves together, and um, it has it sounds like there's been an enormous concentration on telehealth and and, and getting straight to the family uh, through through the um, World Wide Web. Yeah, and there, there have been some improvements there, but there's still some caution there because oh, yeah. you know uh, not everybody has access. Well, not everybody has access, but also not everybody's entirely comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. You know, we do a lot of work with pregnant women. We have doula services in South Bend, for example, and we do a lot around in the maternal mortality space, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And thus, the infant mortality rate has has gone down in the last four or five years in the right. state of Indiana. Right, right. We've mm -hmm. seen Governor uh, Holcomb has made a great effort in, in doing that. He has, with mm -hmm. Dr. Box, and, and, and we have seen record mortality, but, but, the, but the but, <laughs> the but is that for uh, infants of color, mm -hmm. A, a difference of 10, 15 deaths per year can have the rate skyrocket all over. Mm -hmm. and, and and so uh, I think Dr. Box, to her credit, um, when we talk about infant mortality in our state, we talk about how many babies is that. Mm -hmm. So it's one thing to say, well, infant, Indiana had an infant mortality rate of six per thousand. That's not the same as saying last year 653 babies died or whatever oh, the number might be. That, that, okay. that, so, that hits you right between right, right. the eyes. So, so, so you go over to the Department of Health, you'll see on the walls, et cetera, mm -hmm. that we talk specifically about how many babies there are. Mm -hmm. Because the reality, like if, if, if you take all the births, mm -hmm. about 85,000 a year, and you say, okay, what share of those are black births? It'd be roughly 11,000. And so you would say, okay, then you would think that black deaths based on that share of the births <clears throat> would be <clears throat> no greater than 15%. Right, percent. <clears throat> Typically between 20 and 25. 
percent of the total, mm -hmm. and so that's the disparity. So we got a lot of work to do. We, we, have, we have work to do because again, every one of those babies could be a productive citizen. Every one of those babies could help us have more people at their gym. As we're aging, somebody's got to pay that Social Security in mm -hmm. for us. You know, mm -hmm. it, it, it just will of help course. us generally be. Uh, a more perfect society, mm -hmm. uh, one with a higher quality of life, mm -hmm. because informal mortality is one of those measures of, of, of sort of the quality of your society. Mm -hmm. and, and so so we really are, are very thankful uh, for the governor's leadership and for Dr. Box's leadership and the, all the effort on informal mortality reduction, and we're delighted to see the results we got in 2019. We're hopeful that that will be sustained in 20 and 21, and that we will continue to get to the point where where we don't have black babies dying at two and a half rate of white babies, but we basically get to healthy quality, which is what we ultimately want. Yeah, that's that. That's a great goal. I uh, uh, in these podcasts, I always I always ask the, the um, individual I'm interviewing if they have something to uh, talk about uh, regarding uh, their organization. It's your podcast. Uh, tell our tell my podcast viewers what your podcast and 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 how often is it. Uh, how often is it broadcast? All right. Well, well, we're just really starting an effort to elevate our voice. So we have created a uh, a podcast um, place uh, called it's the Indiana Minority Health Coalition Minority Health Matters, mm. and 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 we're doing some um, introductory type uh, of a podcast, and we're going to link it ultimately to our our, uh, our our YouTube channel, mm -hmm. where we're creating primary content, not just about minority health, but for example about what we may do on relative to vaccines in Gary or places around the state. Um, but so, so on the one hand, we're, we're building up our own podcast studio and our, and, and our uh, video capability. But we're primarily doing it as a way to just add content that we can then target to groups in, in, that we know about that may be, that, that for which that information may be useful. There's, for example, there's an Indianapolis Black Millennials group, mm -hmm. and that's a group that's a little resistant to the vaccine. So, oh. so we would want to take our podcast capability to, to to do some messaging and some other advocacy work with that group. Uh, there are organized hairdressers. I mean, there there are there there are many many groups to whom we think may be more effective distribution means for information than to do the usual, um, you know, broadcast. Well, with your grassroots effort, your grassroots organization. Sounds like you're the right organization to get to those individuals and make sure they understand the facts of, of health care. And uh, uh, Carl, Carl Allison with the Indiana Minority Health Coalition, thank you very much for appearing um, via the video and the audio for my uh, podcast. And uh, you've been listening to and watching Jim Merritt's Indiana podcast.